also hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's happening and we're here and hello. Oh god, finally. It's actually happening. Yeah, I needed this today. Yeah. In a big way. Big way. Um, it's lovely and frigid outside right now. It's cold enough that like all the trees are frosted. Oh. Yeah, it's good stuff. We're supposed to get some snow tomorrow, which I'm pretty excited about. It's just been weirdly like up and down. Oh, yeah. We've gotten a buttload of snow and it's nice because like we've just moved over to east side so we get more snow than we have mm-hmm. gotten for the last five years and it's been very nice. But it looks cold as fuck today. Like the um our neighbor has a chimney and they must have a fire going and all the smoke is just coming out and like going flat. You know, because it's cold enough to where it's like staying. Yeah. It's nice. That's so nice. Winter things. Winter things. Yeah. Some winter things. As I'm inside observing said winter things. From the indoors. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy winter things outdoors in very brief stints of time. I like things outdoors quite a bit. I just don't do any winter sports and like going for walks sucks in the winter you know so like I like like our new year's party every year where we're out on the lake and Mm -hmm. like it's cold as fuck and we're just hanging out on the lake that I can really get into but the um, German Christmas market in Chicago every year other than this year obviously yeah um that I really really enjoy because it's there are little shops that you can go into and like get you know, mold wine or roasted nuts or ornament or whatever. Yeah. Um, but most of it is outdoor and it's always cold and snowing. And there's mm-hmm. usually like, there's a little spot where they either have like, you can take pictures or like sometimes there's a choir or whatever. It's just really precious. That sounds great. It's a great time. I miss it. But that's one of my, I also, I like walking Valkyrie in the snow because she's a weirdo and doesn't really know what to do with it, but knows that she can eat it. Yeah. And so as she runs, she'll lick. I love that. She's a cute little weirdo, aren't you? Um, it's daytime today. It is daytime today. So what are you drinking? I have some cool, crisp, fresh tap water. Look at you. I know. Um, I am basically at brunch, and so I have three different drinks. Oh, nice. I love that. My boss and I always talk about how, like, brunch is the best because you can have, like, four or five drinks. As many, yeah. And Coffee, like, juice, cares. water, Diet Coke, alcohol. Mimosa. Yeah. yeah. got to get your – so I've got hot chocolate, mm. and I've got a Diet Coke, and I've got a water. Yeah. It's good stuff. So. Did you – I wonder if I can find the link. Somebody posted on Facebook a thread of – this woman's story about how her cat ate one of her edibles. Oh my God. I read that last night and was like crying, laughing. Same. I was literally the part, crying. The part where the cat is just like staring at staring. her. I, who I made me laugh so gone. hard. Trevor kept asking what it was. He's like, what? And I was like, I need to get to the end of this thread and then you can read the whole thing. It's so it great. So Wow, especially knowing that it was okay at the end and everything yeah. was fine. It's like I'm crying and rolling my cats excellent. up in blankets and trying to force them to throw up. <laughs> so excellent. So good. So good. Yeah. You know when you're too high and you're crying in the drive-thru of Taco <laughs> Bell? It's like that, but she was in my tub. <laughs> um, I, Greg has, we've like gotten houseplants for the first time, really. Like I, we had one little tiny plant, but it was like up on our counter that he never got on. And so now we have plants and, um, and Lizzie and Brandon have plants at their place too. And so Greg like got really into their plants and like kept trying to go over and like eat their plants. And then he'd eat a couple stems of it and then he'd puke it up. And then he'd go and like lay down and then he'd come back and he'd eat a couple stems and he'd puke it up. It was just this like constant horrible thing yeah. and then we came here and then we got houseplants and he keeps like seeing them and being like oh I, I'm gonna go eat that and so I like keep catching him and they're like up like he can't actually mm-hmm. get to any of them but I keep seeing him like get really close and then just like stare at it <laughs> I'm like I see you I don't, don't do eat it. that fucking plant I'm just gonna barf it up 
Yeah. Evan Evan had to move his aloe plant because he kept coming home and there would be like stems of it just like on his desk. Aloe plant? Knowing that you are allergic to he's aloe? Still, he's still, it's on our kitchen counter. Ugh. I think, so like I've, I've like lived in the danger zone and I like <laughs> touch it sometimes, right? Who? I think it must be just like the juice inside of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Which makes sense. But I got uh, more plants this nice. past week and I repotted some and I got some like fresh, good soil for them. And I was like, yeah, eat this nutrients and be thriving and happy. And thankfully Valkyrie doesn't really show any interest in them. She might sniff them occasionally, but she's never tried to bite or eat any of them. It's great because she could eat all of them. They're all very much. Well, no. Yeah, she could get to that one. (laughs) And they're all (laughs) within her realm. Well, yeah, we're good. Um, Do you have any more business? Do you want to do Uh, this? I would just love to say welcome to Babetown. Ew, dude. Oh, my God. I was literally just listening to our last episode thinking to myself, I got to be ready. I got to be ready to do it. And I really enjoyed that you opened up for me. That was nice. By asking if you had any more business? Yeah. Yeah. It just I felt know. like stupid. you opened this door and silently wait for me to come in. It was really, it was really cozy. I liked it. I hate that. Okay. Well, it sounds like we're going to be um, pretty neck and neck here. We are pretty so, neck and neck. I mean, I think. So what year was your babe born? My babe was born in 1912. Oh, man. By four years, you are going first. I was hoping that this was going to be the time we had to go to month. Yeah. You know? All right. Yeah. Well, then, Taylor, are you ready? We are here yes. to tell you a story. Yes. Um, have you heard of Nancy Wake? No. Oh, dude. Okay. Excellent. I am <sighs> very excited about this. Okay. Nancy Grace Augusta Wake was born August 30th, 1912 in Wellington, New Zealand, and she was the youngest of six. When she was very young, some say two months, some say two years, but she was very young, her family moved to um, Sydney, Australia, and then her dad, can you hear her scratching herself? Yeah. She's really going (laughs) at it. Really... Really going at it right next to the microphone. She was just across the room, but there was like, nope. I love it. Better come over here. All right. So uh, her father was a journalist and almost immediately after they moved to Sydney, Australia, he left the family and moved back to New Zealand like a huge prick. Cool. Cool move. Yeah. So her mom's raising all six kids. Um, For reasons unknown, Nancy ran away. Are you cozy? Are you good? Can you settle somewhere? <laughs> you gonna scratch wow. there? Cool. <laughs> it sounds like Santa is on his way. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks. Can this be our Christmas episode? And yes, absolutely. There's just little jingle bells in the background. Yeah. Of I love it. All right. <sighs> so let's cut all seven minutes of that. Papa's a journalist. Papa's a journalist. He ditched the family like a dick. Right. For reasons unknown, Nancy runs away when she's 16. Okay. And works as a nurse for a little while, which at first I was like, sorry, how? As a 16-year-old? Yes. No training? But apparently the school she went to was, there was a long title of it, but it was like a school for home sciences. And so they probably taught her something along those lines who knows some nurse shit yeah um so when she was 20 she got an inheritance from her aunt and was able to leave australia so she goes to london she goes to paris she goes to new york but she ultimately was like paris is the best i'm in love with it and she settles down there so she starts working as a freelance journalist and said enjoyed paris's nightlife to the fullest uh she once said about her younger self that she was someone who loved nothing more than, quote, a good drink and handsome men, especially Frenchmen. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, oh, she's <sighs> my hero. I picture her as this, like, 
What year is this? How old is she at this point? Uh, she's 20. We're in early 30s. Okay. I picture her already as like a 60 year old lady with like a smoker's voice whose name is Madge and that- like, and like bounces from smoky 30s bar to smoky 30s bar with her like long fancy cigarette, right? Mm-hmm. With like the mm-hmm. filter mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Just like she- talking about dudes and throwing back gin. <laughs> she becomes that way. Excellent. So before that, she's like the picture of like 30s and 40s bombshell, just gorgeous. Like, with- like Diane Kruger, a la Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Great. Yes. And there's like there are maybe three photos of her when she's young, and they're all just like, "Are you a movie star? Is this a set, or okay. are you a real person?" Anyway. So, 1936, she meets and falls in love with a man from Marseille named Hem- Henry Fioca. Hard eyes. Okay, great. Hard eyes for Henry. Uh, she moves with him. They settle down to Marseille. They get married. Uh, they get married in 1939. And six months later, Germany invades France. Yep. So, they had enjoyed in their, like, three years together in their married life. Um he was apparently very wealthy. He was an industrialist, which I'm not really sure what that means. Um, but like, I really tell you. like caviar and travel and like high society hostess and whole nine yards. They're very comfortable, very wealthy. So she's still traveling. She's still a freelance journalist. And during the mid thirties, she traveled to Vienna and Berlin. And while she was there, she saw some Nazis randomly searching out and beating Jewish men and women in the streets. And she vowed if she ever got the chance, she would do everything she could to stop the Nazis. She said, quote, my hatred of Nazis was very, very deep. I get Good. it. Mm-hmm. She also noticed that that experience was a turning point, And she kind of went through this metamorphosis from like the fun, loving, carefree young woman to an adulthood dedicated to the resistance. So, Thankfully, she and her husband recognized that as wealthy people, they held a certain amount of privilege and yeah. it could not only protect them, but it could help other people. Um, she also recognized that she had an additional advantage being a woman. She said, quote, I don't see why we women should just wave our men a proud goodbye and then knit them balaclavas. <laughs> I love her. Um, and a lot like some of the previous resistance fighter women that we've talked about, the Nazis wouldn't like, they were more likely to stop the men and search them than stop the women. They just kind of assumed their innocence. It is wild. The level of overlap that our stories have. Really? It's crazy. Yes. Um, I love when we accidentally have themes. I know. (laughs) Just the best. It tells me that both of us are inspired by the same things. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, mm-hmm. based on current events. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's what that tells me. It's like, okay, what is the thing that's going to make me feel better about humanity? And it's these stories. Women resisting Nazis. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, so she was able to travel more openly around France, even after the Germans invaded. She said, quote, a woman could get a lot more trouble than a man could. So... Nancy starts aiding resistance groups in 1940 after France fell. She starts off by driving ambulances and then she worked as a courier and was transporting messages. And then she starts aiding and escorting allied soldiers and Jewish refugees out of the country along the quote, Pat O'Leary line, which was this, like, it reminded me of the underground railroad of like this line of smuggling people to Spain that was actually named after a Belgian doctor. And I hate why they had to do it, but I love that everybody had secret identities. Yeah. Um, so she's credited with saving the lives of hundreds of men and women, smuggling them to Spain between 1940 and 1943. Wow. So Germany eventually catches on and she had a few close calls with them. The German Gestapo started calling her the white mouse because she was so at evading capture. And then when she was 
interviewed about like her tactics of how did she do it. She said, quote, a little powder and a little drink on the way. And I'd pass their posts and wink and say, do you want to search me? God, what a flirtatious little bastard I was. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love this woman. I love this woman. Um, but ultimately they're tapping her phone conversations. They're intercepting her mail. She's like, it's getting too close to call. So she tries to flee France across the Pyrenees mountains. Um, Casual, the easiest way, easiest way to get out Mm -hmm. of the country to make it easier. She was captured with a whole train load of people that were put in prison. Wow. But the dude who was the head of the O'Leary line was like, oh, this is just my mistress. And she gave you a fake name because she's hiding from her husband, but we're sleeping together. And so the Germans were like, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, totally. And so they <laughs> let her go. Um, wow. So she makes it out. Her husband stayed behind and was unfortunately captured, tortured, and executed. And she had no idea until after the war. And so Aww. she always blamed herself because she left him, which I hate. Um, so she makes her way to England and is approved to start training with their special forces group called the British Special Operations Executive, or SOE. Are you in the SOE too? <laughs> oh my god. I love this week. <laughs> yeah, we, I chat a lot about the SOE. Oh good, because so. that, that's literally all I have in mind. Great. Um, so April 1944. She joins 430 men and 38 other women to parachute into France to help prepare for D-Day. Stop this. Um, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. Both of my women were in that same parachute jump. So I have from, two of the other 39. So from my reading, they went in specific smaller groups. So like yeah. they're the whole, you know. So she went in a group that was a three-man team known as Hubert. And her parachute caught on a tree and a Frenchman walked up and said, quote, I hope all the trees in France bear such beautiful fruit this year. To which <laughs> she replied, don't give me that French shit. <laughs> That's amazing. I love her. So her job, she, she they always talk about how, like, she knew exactly what she wanted and exactly like she didn't waver. She didn't have to, like, think things through. She always knew exactly the course to take. So she would help collect night drops of ammunitions, weapons, money, and distribute them and hide them in various locations for the advancing allies or allied armies. And she was helping set up wireless communication with England, um, which was essential to weakening the German forces. Uh, and then it said she also harassed the Germans. And I have no <laughs> idea what that means. And I really wish that I did. I like to think that that's just her like walking down the street and seeing a German and being like, Hey, German, fuck you. <laughs> just like keep walking. Yeah. Just, just harassing her flipping birds yeah. as she walks. <laughs> um, so at one point the Germans attacked their base and they were forced to retreat. But in the process, the dude who was part of team Hubert, who was the radio man left his radio. So they get to their like locate the retreat, retreat location. They realize they have no way to communicate with England. So she rode a bicycle all the way back, found a radio, went all the way back, which was a round trip of 310 miles in three days. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, even though her job was mainly organizing munitions and drops, she occasionally helped in the raids of the German camps. <laughs> when she talked about assisting at the raid, she said, I like that kind of thing. Although she had to prove herself as an honorary man which she accomplished by regularly drinking her French comrades under the table. Amazing. One of them, who was actually a, uh, he was a U.S., um, I forgot his status, but he was a commanding officer. He was a U.S. commanding officer. And he said, quote, I've never seen anyone drink like that, and I don't think the Marquis had either. We just couldn't work out where it all went. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love her. Um, so at one point... They're raiding a Nazi camp, and to stop a Nazi from raising the alarm, she killed him with her bare hands. And she was like, yeah, when we went through training, they taught us to do this chop thing, and I did it, and he immediately died. I was honestly a little surprised. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Just, um, so then they discover a German spy 
And the men didn't want to shoot her because she was a woman. And so Nancy was like, she admitted to me that she's a spy. She's proud of being a German spy. And the punishment for that is execution. So if you guys don't shoot her, I will. And they were like, well, we don't really want this lady shooting another lady. So, okay. Um, she said, quote, I was never afraid. I was too busy to be afraid. In an interview with an Australian newspaper in 2001, she said, quote, I was not a very nice person and it didn't put me off my breakfast. <laughs> you know, the way that people talk. Wow. Yeah. So immediately after the war, she's struggling to transition back to civilian life because she said in the war, there was always so much to do. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine the amount of adrenaline that she was just used to at that yeah. point. And then transitioning to peacetime, it's got to be a crazy adjustment. I don't even know. So she briefly works for the British government, but then she hates a desk job. So she returns to Australia and tried to run for public office in the early 1950s, like three different times. That didn't work. Um, so she moves back to England she married a retired Royal Air Force pilot named John Forward in 1957. They moved back to Australia. She tries again for politics and it doesn't work. And then after her husband, her second husband's death in 1997, she moved back to England and was just kind of never really able to find satisfaction in post-war life. Yeah. Um, which also I kind of wonder if that has to do with how she was suddenly able to rise above quote unquote, the rank of being a woman, like mm -hmm. rise above being traditional. I don't know. Housewife or whatever. And then yeah. is expected yeah. to go right back to it. Right. Yeah. So she received George medal, the oh, wait, George medal star, France and Germany star defense medal, British war medal, French officer of the Legion of honor, the French, I don't know how to pronounce this, with star and two palms. Is that Croix de Guerre? That's the one. That's in mine, too. <laughs> nice. Uh, U.S. Medal <clears throat> for Freedom and French Medal de Resistance, I'm assuming, um, which all are now on display at the Second World War Gallery at the Australian War Memorial. Wow. Um, Hollywood used her story for various movie adaptations and she approved all but the ones that portrayed her having affairs during the war. Um, she said, quote, in my old age, I regret it, but you see, if I had accommodated one man, the word would have spread around and I would have had to accommodate a whole damn lot. <laughs> I love it. Um, well into her night. This is a whole quote from, um, a art article in the guardian and it was just great. So I copied the whole thing. Well into her 90s, perched on her specially reserved bar stool in the Stafford Hotel in London, gin and tonic in hand, she remains as feisty and outspoken as ever. There was little she enjoyed better than, quote, a bloody good drink. And to fund her lifestyle, she had sold her war medals. Quote, there was no point in keeping them, she explained. I'll probably go to hell and they'd melt anyway. <laughs> wow. Just what? Wow. So she died in London on August 7th, 2011, just a couple weeks shy of her 99th birthday. Um, I don't know why she died. I'm assuming complications with being 98. Right. Um, and she requested her ashes to be scattered on the fields and hills where she fought beside those men. Wow. There were books and articles and TV shows based on her. Uh, one of which she said she would approve after the script was done. And it went from being like this eight hour series about the resistance to a four hour love story. And right. so she just like constantly was like, this is garbage and not at all what it was like and stopped lying to people. So then she wrote her own autobiography called the white mouse. Uh, there's a play based on her called underground. And as of April, 2020, there's a major motion picture in the works. Excellent. And that is the story of Nancy wake. Wow. Assistance Fatir. That was great. I love her so much. And now I'm like super excited to hear your ladies. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I love themes. Um, to source ship, mm -hmm. Wikipedia, the Australian War Memorial, um, that article in The Guardian by David Stafford. 
And uh, there's a New York Times article called Nancy Wake, Proud Spy and Nazi Foe Dies at 98 by Paul Vitello. Love it. Dynamite. Love it. Me too. Big fan of Nancy Wake. All right. Well. Ah, sit back with my water. Yeah. Sit back with your water and your fucking paper full of spoilers. Um... Have you ever heard mm. of Jacqueline or Eileen Nearn? Mm-mm. Excellent. So Jacqueline Nearn. About what they did. You know, curious. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Jacqueline Nearn was born May 27th, 1916. And Eileen, everyone called her Dee Dee though. So that's what we're going to call her. Cool. Dee Dee was born five years later on March 15th, 1921. Okay. Their father was British. Their mother was Spanish. They had two brothers, Francis, and then somebody who it's super possible doesn't even have a name because I read so many articles and they all were like, yeah, they had a brother, Francis, and then some guy. Like, not a name. Okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know the order in which they were, except for that Dee Dee was the youngest of the four and Jacqueline was somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um. So when the girls were young, the family moves to France, and um, that's pretty much where the kids were raised. They felt much more French than they did British, um, especially considering that, like, they went to school in France, so they were fluent in French. Right. Um, and then, shocker, 1939, the Nazis yep. show up. Um, so right before that happens, they get word of it. So they flee France in early 1940. They head to London via Spain. I don't know why. That seems like a... Spain was neutral. Interesting. It just seems like a a roundabout kind of way to get there, but that makes sense. It is. Um, So, doop, doop, doop. Their brother Francis gets recruited by the special operations executive, the SOE. And immediately, Jacqueline's like, well, shit, like, if he can do it, I can do it. So then she tries... And also me. Yeah, she tries to join up. Um, she tries to join up with the women's army service as a translator and they were like, no, you, you can't join cause you can't drive in the dark, which like sweet babe <laughs> can't drive in the dark. So she's like, all right, well, fuck. So then, um, she's at an, an interview for like recruiting. Right. And they're like asking her all these questions. She thinks that she's there for a translator job. And they're asking her all these questions about like, would you feel comfortable jumping out of an airplane, like all of these like really strange questions. And she realizes that she is getting passed on to the first aid nursing yeomanry, which is the um, secret cover organization for the women's faction of the SOE. Yes, yes, yes. Um, The SOE was known as Churchill's secret army because it was specifically designed for like espionage and like intelligence gathering. Yes. Um, And it turns out, as we already talked about, Nazis are super misogynistic on top of everything else. So they didn't ever really think of women as being spies. So they were really effective spies. Um, She begins being trained to be a courier in three different stages. So her first stage was combat and like unarmed and both armed combat. And then it was espionage training. And then it was uh, parachuting. She had to learn how to mm-hmm. jump out of a plane. She had to nail, I think it was five jumps, one of them in the dark. Um, and she, like, for whatever reason, she had a whole bunch of jumps that had been canceled, like four or five of them that had been canceled. So she only actually got to complete one before she was put in the field, which is probably pretty scary. Oh. Um So her last little chunk of training was how to use Morse code and a radio transmitter that was carried in a briefcase because World War II. So um, obviously it's super fucking top secret. So while she's in training, she's like going home and like wandering around dressed in her her like nurse's outfit, Mm -hmm. even though she's not a nurse, never Mm -hmm. has been, isn't trained. Um, She has her uniform all the time when she goes home and her younger sister Dee Dee is like, buddy, what is going on? And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'm a nurse. It's fine. I'm a and nurse. basically Dee Dee just bugged her into telling her what was actually happening. <laughs> and so then Dee Dee finds out and she's like, 
well, I want to fucking do that. And Jacqueline's like, no, 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 it's super dangerous. And she's like, I don't care. So she goes to join the SOE and the SOE is stoked. They're like, well, fucking great. This is another Nieren sister who are like, they're kind of perfect because they're fluent in French, but are British citizens. Mm -hmm. So they can work for the British government, but can pose as French. Right. Um, And so the SOE is like, yeah, great. Like, come on in. And so basically Jacqueline gets assigned to parachute in to occupied France. And like right before she leaves in 1943, she talks to her superiors at the SOE and she's like, okay, fine. But you have to promise me that you won't send her into the field because it's too dangerous. At that time, it was like a one in four chance of getting captured or killed on a mission. And she's like, it's too dangerous. Don't send her into the field. She can work for you. She can do, you know, translating everything, but like, don't send her into the field. And they were like, yeah, 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 totally. So Jacqueline gets parachuted into um, occupied France. She carries her transmitter in pieces in a makeup bag so that she can like reassemble it whenever she gets to safe houses. Um, So uh, her mission lasts 15 months. She was successfully brought back safely to London because she showed up. This is like the most movie spy shit that I've ever heard. She shows up at an airfield and realizes that her plane is the one to leave because it has her code name painted on the underside of the plane. So she just has to go around checking planes on the underside. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah, that's me. This is mine. It's me. Um, so she also gets the back. Fact, the idea of having your transmitter in pieces in your makeup bag. Very spy. Very spy. Love. Very spy. And she like, apparently there were multiple times where she was like having to travel from safe house to safe house and um, had to do it by train and Nazis had checkpoints at all the train stations. And so she was like always terrified that she was going to get searched and that they were going to open her makeup bag and be like, why do you have a radio in here? <laughs> um, so her mission lasts 15 months. So she comes back in like mid 1944. Um, by the time she gets back, did you hear Evan sneeze? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Cause he's like, he, like the door is shut and he's like in the other room. Whatever. Um, so she gets back and spoiler alert, the SOE had lied to her and Dee has already been parachuted into France by the time she gets back. Um, so we're going to switch gears. We're going to go chat about Dee for a scooch. So 1944, so like right before Jacqueline gets back, Didi is sent on a mission with a French army commander named Jean Sabby, which I love. Um, It's probably not pronounced Sabby now that I'm saying it out loud because it's French. But I like that his name is Jean Sabby. So like, oh, yeah, he's a spy and he's super fucking Sabby. I came across his name somewhere and I'm trying to remember what part of my research it was. So I'm really. I'm so curious, curious to know if these if women our, fought together. They probably did, dude. They probably did. Cause I, I remember that name. Cause I, I had the same thought. It was like, huh, she was, Sabby. yeah, it was her and John Savvy that were the team. Like it was the two of them. Um, so her code name was Rose and she was tasked with setting up a Parisian network called the wizard. So the wizard was basically a radio network that was designed to keep a connection between Paris and London. Mm -hmm. And it was so that donors and benefactors could come and give money to help fund the French resistance. So what they would do is that these donors, Didi would seek them out. They would give her a pass, like a phrase. She would send it in Morse code to London. And then during the BBC's European service broadcast, they would say the phrase and then the donor would be watching or listening, I guess, not watching, um, would hear the phrase and be like, oh, OK, they're legit. They're actually part of the resistance. So that's how wow. they were having to get money. Um, and it was like her. It, that was what she did. Um, so the Germans were catching on. <laughs> They were getting super fucking good at figuring out where safe houses were and rating them at perfect times. Um, so she had to constantly be moving around, constantly aware. One time she was on a train going to a new safe house and a German soldier offered to carry her suitcase for her. And she was like, no, no, no it's that's fine. It's fine. It's a it's a gramophone. Definitely. And he was like, 
I mean, I could still carry it for you. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And she just like got off at the, at the next stop. Cause it was her radio that was in the suitcase. Dude. Um, she sent over a hundred messages over a five month period, which makes me super curious how much money she actually like raised for the resistance. Yeah. I would be fascinated to know that. Yeah. Um, she said, quote, I wasn't nervous. In my mind, I was never going to be arrested. But of course, I was careful. There were Gestapo in plain clothes everywhere. I always looked at my reflection in shop windows to see if I was being followed. <sighs> so scary. Yeah. But it's, um, it's another example of the people who were just like, they don't think about it in terms of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm living through a war. I can't believe it. Like, they just think about it in terms of like, this is this is life. This is what we yeah. do. This is like, they just accept it and keep, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so July of 1944, she's at a safe house just outside of Paris. Um, she's sending a message, like actively sending a message. And as she's sending it, she somehow finds out that the Germans are on their way. So she has just enough time. Like we're talking literally moments before they bust into the room. She has just enough time to burn her messages and hide the radio. So they come in. Unfortunately, they found her radio and they found the pad that she was using to send the Morse code messages. So she's arrested. Um, she was then sent to Gestapo headquarters where she was repeatedly beaten and waterboarded and tortured for her information for like at least a month. Um, the most that she ever gave them was her cover story that she was a secretary who was working for a Frenchman who was asking her to uh, send messages that she didn't know to who or why. And that was the most she ever gave them. She never gave up her actual identity or her mission or her superiors or her like God. team, nothing. Um, so then once the Gestapo realizes that they're not going to get anything out of her, they send her to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Um, it was the camp that was intended for women. And there she just got like moved around from camp to camp for a long time like she got sent to at least three but maybe oh, anywhere God. as many as five um so she's at Silesia for a little bit and then in 1945 she's at Markle Markleberg um and while she's at Markleberg for some reason they hear they they know that the allies are getting ready to storm the town mm -hmm. um and obviously everyone that is not a Nazi is stoked about that. Right. And people who are Nazis are worried about that. So right. for some reason, they at the concentration camp, they take all of the prisoners and they make them do a nighttime walk. And I'm not sure if that's too, I'm not sure if that's because they thought that they were going to like be raided at night. So they didn't want prisoners there to get right. liberated or like, I'm not sure why, but they're on this nighttime walk. Um, and she and two other prisoners fucking make a run for it and run through the woods. They get away. They survive for several days without food, um, just walking. So they finally get to the town of Leipzig, where they find a church. They go in. The priest there hides them in a bell tower until the city is liberated later that month. God. Um, so at that point, though, she's in pretty physically rough shape because um, she's been tortured and living at a Starved concentration camp for a long time um and then had to fucking walk through the woods for yeah. days um so by the time the americans get to the church that she's hiding in she's passed out and so then she wakes up when they're like asking her who she is and she tells them that she is a british spy working for the resistance and they think that she is delirious and has a high fever and thinks that she's a Nazi collaborator. So they arrest her and detain her. So she's being detained now by the allies who luckily within, I mean, a couple of days are able to get a hold of the SOE and they're like, no, that's our guy. Like let, let her go. go please. <laughs> Come on guys. So they let her go. Um, when she gets home, she's being debriefed and was asked how she kept up hope. She said, quote, the will to live, willpower. That's the most important. You should not let yourself go. It seemed that the end would never come, but I always believed in destiny and I had a hope. If you're a person who is drowning, you put all your efforts into trying to swim. Dude. <laughs> oh my God. 
So um, both sisters after the war are awarded with the Croix de Guerre um, by the French government. And then an MBE, which is a a member of the Order of the British Empire by the British government. Mm -hmm. Both of them are basically medals of bravery and service. Mm -hmm. Um, So after the war, uh, Jacqueline pretty much devotes herself to taking care of Dee Dee and helping her recover. Um, so it took months and months for Dee Dee to physically recover, but mentally it kind of sounds like she never fully did because PTSD wasn't a thing in the forties. Like it wasn't, people didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and right. Yeah. Um, and it didn't help that neither sister ever, ever once talked about serving in the war at all. Um, They, Jacqueline eventually goes on to work for the UN, um, which at that point had been newly formed after the war. Um, She eventually moves back to London, I think kind of to help with Dee Dee, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, She ended up dying in 1982 at age 66, so like pretty young. Um, Dee Dee had struggles holding out a job because of PTSD. Um, Eventually she starts working as a caretaker at a nursing home. And then... She started living in the town of Torquay and was known for being like, like just kind of a reclusive cat lady. Like all of her neighbors were like, yeah, she just really likes her cats. Like she's kind of a boring lady that likes her cats because she just didn't say anything to anybody about it ever. Um, So in 1997, Dee Dee's 76 and she agreed to do an interview for a TV documentary about the SOE. Um, but she only agreed on the condition that she could wear a wig and speak only in French. Um, her neighbor saw the documentary and asked if it was her. And she was like, no, 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 you've got, no, that's not me. How would that be me? Look, that person has long brown hair. Yeah. I like just have long blonde like, hair. Nope. Nope. Wasn't me. Don't know anything about that. Um, so she died in 2010. Um, she was 89 and it, took a couple days for someone to find her because nobody she didn't live with anybody neither sister ever married or anything um so when she was discovered so were all of her soe docs her journals her clothes she kept all of her clothes all of her medals everything she kept it all um and just didn't i mean like there's a great interview with her niece in the guardian And her niece even talks about like, yeah, like when we would come into town, like she wouldn't let us in her house. And it's now we know it's because she had all of the shit and she didn't want us to know about it. Um, So uh, their niece, Odile Nearn, said in that 2013 interview, quote, my aunts didn't want to talk about what they'd experienced, but I don't believe they wanted it to die with them either. So their niece has made it her goal to be like, look at how fucking cool. Dude. These ladies are who did all of this and didn't want anyone to know about it. They didn't do it because they would get medals and fame right. and like all of this. Like they didn't care about any of that. Like, so um, when she was discovered, uh, when they were cleaning out her apartment, the story got leaked to the press about who she was. And suddenly Dee Dee is like posthumously thrust into the spotlight and everyone is like blown away by this like secret war hero that they didn't know. So her funeral service had full military honors and had crowds lining the street. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Um, their niece Odile now works to make sure everyone knows that her aunts are the fucking coolest. She had a blue plaque installed outside Dee Dee's flat memorializing it as the former home of a war hero. And in 2013, at least she was working to get one at Jacqueline's former home in London too. Um, She said, quote, I'd do anything to have my aunts back, even just for an hour. So I could tell them how incredibly proud I am of them and how inspiring I find what they did. I hate that she was alone. I know. I know. And those are the stories of Jacqueline and Eileen Dee Nearn. Wow. Yeah. I cannot even imagine enduring all of that and then just never speaking about it. Never. Yeah, never talking about it. Because 
society at the time, you can't. Mm-mm. They were just starting to learn what but she PTSD didn't even talk was. about it. She didn't. I mean, but she didn't talk about any of it to anyone. Like, like when she died, that was the first time that her niece had found out that her aunts were even in the war at all. Right. Like, <laughs> but it's not even like, like mentally and physically tortured and have that right. level of PTSD. Yeah. But it's labeled as hysteria or whatever. Yeah. So she chose to keep it. I mean, it also could have been, though, it might not have even necessarily been labeled as hysteria, but it might just have been that, I mean, everyone in World War II, everyone had those stories. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, it was such a horrific thing that touched so many people that, like, it might have just been a little overwhelming, but it's, it, that almost makes it worse because that means that there definitely were people that could have related to, yeah. to her, you know, it's just sad. It's very sad. It's sad, but I love that her niece is now like, and her niece like talks about like, yeah, you know, like, like they didn't want to talk about any of this when they were alive. And I really respected that. But now that they're dead, I think that it's time that they get the credit they deserve because it won't yeah. make them uncomfortable anymore. One hundred percent. It doesn't. It won't. It won't do anything except for make people realize what they did. You know. Yeah. Which I liked a lot. Yeah. Um. So let me start my shit. Documentaries. Yes. Um. Yeah. I would love to know the name of that documentary for about the SOE. I couldn't find the name of it but I'm sure that it's out there. Yeah, we should find that. Um, also, all of these all of these photos of the two of them are just so cute. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the Guardian article uh, is called My Aunts, the Unlikely Spies, written by Joanna Moorhead, interviewing Odile Nern. Um, there was a New York Times article, Eileen Nern, Wartime Spy Dies at 89, written by John F. Burns. Um, the Heroin Collective, who we've talked about before, always excellent, has a great article on her. Most of them are focused on Mylene. There's very little, um, like, standalone information about Jacqueline. It's always, like, Mm. Jacqueline and Eileen. Right. Or just Eileen. Um, Because, I mean, not to, like, diminish anything that Jacqueline did, it's just that Eileen's, Jacqueline's mission went smoothly, and she came back. So, um... There's a good article on crimereads.com written by Jennifer Ryan called Jacqueline and Eileen Near and Sisters and Spies, which is great. Yeah. Um, airspacemagazine.com has an article written by Rebecca Maxwell called You've Got the Job, Now Here's Your Parachute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, is that all of them? Yeah, I think that's all of them. And then Wikipedia for dates and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, wow. that's that's those two great babes. I can. That's why. So last so last week I started. I found Eileen Nearn and I was reading about it, and I was like, oh my god! And it was like right at the end, and it was like, yeah, and also her sister Jacqueline did. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> There's another one of them. So I was like, well, shit, I can't just do one of these ladies. Like, no, yeah, you gotta do both. It works together as a yeah, as yeah. a pair, a sister pair, a sister yeah. spy pair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that we had three spies this mm-hmm. week. That's from good stuff. the same organization. Like, and the same small organization. Like, there mm-hmm. were 39 women in the SOE, and we covered three of them today. <laughs> yeah. And that's so funny. Dee Dee and Nancy were in France at the same time. Yeah. Who has inspired you and brought you joy and been your badass babe this week? Oh, yeah. Um,. I think that my, I don't know that it's so much a babe, but more just like the thing that has been nice this week is um, I have been watching The Haunting of Bly Manor. (laughs) That's like really, truly like yesterday I was just sitting in the living room and I was like, man, I'm so discontent about so many different things. And like how, like what can I do that will at the very least distract me, but hopefully like also engage me. Cause I just feel like stuck at home. It's just boring. You know, it's just, yeah. it's the same, it's the same day every 
You know? Yeah, I tell people that I live Saturday every day. Like, it just feels like Groundhog Day, where like every day is just the same. Like, mm-hmm. and um, and I started watching Fly last night, and it was well, I was like, oh, okay, this is like something new that I can actually wrap my head around. Because that's the other thing is that like both of us, Evan and I, keep talking about how. Like we kind of have like show fatigue because that's all that we've really been able to do for many months is like watch a show. And so it's it's been hard for me to like people keep being like, you got to watch Shit's Creek. You got to watch this. You got to watch that. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't like the the most that I can like wrap my head around is just rewatching Bob's Burgers, which is lovely. But <laughs> so I was explaining this because I feel the exact same way. People keep telling me like, oh my gosh, you have to watch this. You have to watch this. You have to watch this. And I'm like, first of all, I'm home all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So I do everything in my power not to watch TV all day. Yeah. I wait until after dinner and the last couple hours of my day, we'll watch some TV. Yeah. But I don't want to fall into the trap of just like, this is what I do. All yeah. I do. And I can't really process new shows right mm-hmm. now. I just don't have the energy. Yeah. It's really strange. I mean, like, especially, especially this far into the pandemic, like it's so strange the ways that my energy gets rerouted throughout the day. And like, and like with my head, I already have kind of a limited amount of energy. (laughs) So then like, sure, there are things that just, it doesn't. And I mean, I'm sure that it being dark all the time and depression, like that is not helpful for being productive but then I also have to remind myself but like also it's a pretty traumatic thing that everyone is experiencing right now so like it is okay to have things be a little wonky for a while and it's I mean I mean even after the pandemic like it's things are going to be wonky for a while because everybody is then going to be processing this almost year-long at this point thing that we've had you know I'm so curious to read. Um, I mean, hopefully I live long enough to read studies and statistics about this period of time when, you know, in 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. Yep. And see how it changed our, you know, because the depression changed that entire generation for the rest of their lives. Right. So how is this going to affect our generation? Yeah. And I mean, everyone. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's just kind of like, you know, all of that makes it a lot. But um, Haunting of Bly Manor, it's I know it's not uh, super in season right now, but I told Evan that we should watch Krampus to like kind of transition us out of Halloween and into Christmas. Because, I mean, our Halloween goes until like next week, basically. Sure. And then we'll start gearing up for Christmas. Um, so, yeah, it's just been nice to, like, be able to focus my anxiety into, like, being spooked about ghosts instead of, like, being spooked about just fascism and regular things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. Yeah. For sure. So shout out to spooky things. I guess spooky things really more accurately are my babe of the week because I also watched... Paranormal Activity 3, and I watched The Autopsy of Jane Doe this week. <laughs> I've just been watching, a, like, Halloween movies, really, there and it's go. been great. It's been a great time. I mean, if that's what calms you down and, like, helps you, then who cares? I keep asking Evan, like, oh, do you want to watch a spooky movie tonight? And he's like, I, it's December. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so do you want to watch a spooky yes? movie tonight? <laughs> <Is that a laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you know, do it however I can. Yeah. But uh, tomorrow I'm going out to make cookies with Lizzie and her mom, which is going to be nice. That'll be great. I'm doing she was a- like, my mom is coming over and we're making fudge and cookies. Do you want to join us? I was like, uh, of course I want to join really you. really do. Yeah. So we're doing a, me and two of the girls that I work with are doing a cookie swap in Cute. a couple in a week ish and so we're each making two different kinds of cookies and then just like and so everybody's got a whole bunch of cookies and i'm very excited about it that sounds great (sighs) yeah um who is your babe this week i i kind of have two i have 
one that is like a relax and emotional like release and happy one. And then I have one that's like difficult emotional work, but inspiring and important one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so difficult one is I just finished reading, um, an indigenous, an indigenous people's history of the United States. And the author of that, I absolutely have to shout out. And her name is Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz. And it was, it's an incredible book and it's so difficult to read mm-hmm. and reading it over Thanksgiving, especially was like, I bet. Why do we have this holiday? Mm-hmm. Why is this a holiday that people like, it's the same thing with Columbus day. Like, how do we still do this? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to confront the ways that we were actively taught misinformation. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's crazy, but it's been really, really, um, good emotional work, I think. Just really difficult. And I'm really appreciative to Roxanne for writing this book and giving me all of this information in book form so that I can just like, you know, re-educate myself. Um, In positive, emotional, happy babe news, um, it's uh, definitely Jill Sauerwein. Yes. Oh my good Lord. That That feels like it was seven years ago. It feels so long ago. I'm going to, I'm going to second onto yours because I 100% forgot that that was literally this week because it feels like it was a year ago. So badly. So badly. Um, For those listening, we did a a reading of a play over Skype and it was this like spooky horror play and it was gory and violent and it was by Nicholas Walker Herbert and it was delightful. And just seeing the faces and hearing the voices of people that I love that I have not seen in so long and will not see for so long. Yeah. was so very much what I needed. Yeah. Um, And then just sitting around for like an hour afterwards, reminiscing about Valdez was excellent. I miss Valdez so stupidly much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a really great time. It was really, really great. And it like, it just made my heart all warm and full and yeah. stupid. And I really, really, really needed that. So mm-hmm. I'm Jill, you the best. I'm definitely piggybacking on that one. Fair. I'm going to co-sign that one. Fair. I so. welcome you into co-signing the lease on Jill. On your Jill love. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah, that was really great. Oh man, we did this it again. Necessary. It was very necessary. I'm very disillusioned and depressed about the state of the world right now. And I could talk about Nazi fighting badass babes for a thousand years. Every day. Forever. When I typed in Jacqueline Nearn into Google, it came up with like a list, like, like 10 or 11 women across the top, just their photos being like also related to Jacqueline Nearn. And it's just these black and white photos of all these women in their uniforms. And I was like, I don't have time, but I wish that I did. Yeah, I <laughs> like, I want to read about oh. every single one of these ladies. Yeah. That's the thing where I was like, I don't want to skimp on this research because I could read about her forever and want to read about her forever, but I want to make sure that I get the full story instead of just like, she helped out. Yeah. And then was miserable after the war, you know? Yep. Man. Well, (sighs) have fun at your zoom wedding. Well, sounds like a great time. It'll be interesting for sure, but it'll be fun. Yeah. It sounds like a weird time. It sounds like a 2020 time, but it sounds like 2020 time, but like, it sounds like as good of a time as you can have at a Zoom wedding, you know? It's Yeah, it's going to be great. And it's also like, <laughs> so sweet, sweet Bob and Mabel. Um, they've been dating for a long time. Like, they've been serious for a while. And 
a couple weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago. I don't, time has no meaning. I don't know. Um, Trevor came home and he was like, Hey, Bob and Mabel are going to get married. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. He was like, yeah, they wanted to get married like today. Um, but they decided to wait a couple weeks. So they're going to be married. And I was like, Oh, well, great. <laughs> but they just decided, they were like, why aren't we, why don't we just do this? Like, okay. yeah. And I love it. That's great. It's very, it's very, it's all very good. Love this. Love you. Very much. People listening, bless you. Thanks, Thanks for, for doing that. Sticking with us. If you're um, also disillusioned and depressed, let me know. Join our club. Me too. Let's talk it about this. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much. Yeah. It's a good time. Great time. This did help, though. It will say. Immensely. Always. That's nice. Very nice. <sighs> okay. I love you. Love you too. Ew. <laughs> How dare you? You can't kill it. <laughs> I'm gonna try. Good luck. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>